Hey everyone, I'm JJ Hornblast and welcome to FinTech Unfiltered from Bank Innovation, the leading digital news service on banking and FinTech. This is our weekly wrap on what's happening in banking innovation for the week of July 6, 2020. Before beginning, I want to thank Bank Innovation Advertisers, Mambu, Info Group, Q2, and LQD Business Finance for their support. So thank you very much for that. I'm joined by Bianca Chan and Rick Morgan from the Bank Innovation team, as well as Dan Haas, uh, the CEO and founder of Gravity AI. Dan, welcome. We're happy you're here. Thanks, JJ. It is Friday, July 10. 2020. Um, one of the key stories from this week was Zelle's expanding of its capabilities uh, to add business payments. Um, so uh, what's the kind of potential for business payments out there and what are some of the barriers to Zelle's uh, advancement in this part of the payment space? Right, sure, I can handle this one. So Zelle, which is the digital payments network owned by Early Warning Services, which is essentially just a consortium of some of the biggest banks in the country, um, is known for its P2P payments, so that's peer-to-peer, -peer, right? So one of the major hurdles as they roll out this um, consumer-to-business payment offering will be kind of overcoming that, um, that understanding that they only do P2P. I think that there's a huge opportunity for um, payments, especially digital payments is amid the pandemic. I mean, paper checks aren't that um, viable these days and they're not that easy to process. So uh, we spoke actually with Wells Fargo, which is one of the companies, um, part of early warning services that has seen more businesses um, digitize and automate their payments. So as more businesses turn to Zelle and other sort of like automated and digital payment methods, um, I guess the company saw an opportunity to kind of build out the offering for consumers to now pay businesses. So yeah. if, you, if you had your gardening company come in, you can now use Zelle to pay them. Um, mm -hmm. So this automation, Dan, in financial services has been kind of a, uh, a growing uh, area of expansion. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Gravity AI uh, first, because you're really trying to automate a, a crucial part of the financial services process and, um, and, and maybe talk about kind of, you know, just automation broadly as what, you know, in terms of what Zelle is maybe trying to do, but more broadly as you see it in financial services. Sure, sure. Uh, so when we when we think about it in in, in the context of um, uh, what we're doing, we're heavily focused on automation as far as um, data science is concerned. What we would you know call the AI space. Um, I like to think of it in kind of like this um, uh, uh, tech access curve. You know, in the early days of websites, it was just engineers who had the capability to build websites, right? They had to know code and they went out and built them. Now, pretty much anybody can spin up a, a you know, a WordPress website, for example, with very little coding, if any, knowledge. And uh, we're not quite seeing um, data science reach that level of accessibility, but we are starting to see um, the commoditization of some types of AI, of some types of models. And a lot of that is in the automation space. 
Uh, so Bianca, you mentioned checks, um, you know, obviously something that's been around a long time is kind of mobile deposits, um, uh, uh, which uh, still is somewhat unfriendly, but you know, the automation of being able to extract text from an image, right, which we call OCR, um, uh, is what makes that possible. And, um, you know, in the context of something like Zelle, we're going to need uh, increased and ongoing efforts to automate fraud detection, right? That's going to be a big piece of kind of any uh, payments platform. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing right now that these capabilities are starting to um, become substantially more accessible uh, to, to individual businesses without them having to have full-blown data science teams to execute them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the spaces that we play in, obviously, is we, we um, gather up these kind of third-party uh, solutions um, from, uh, you know, fraud detection to OCR to whatever it is uh, in a, a, a two-sided marketplace, essentially connecting those out-of-the-box algorithms with the financial services companies that would need them. Right. So there's a, um, we, we had a story this week, Rick, you wrote a story this week about uh, banks uh, installing fusion centers uh, yep. uh, kind of seems more like I, I don't it, it seems more like a vanity project I would imagine I, I mean I, you know the, the the fraud detection that you're talking about Dan right I mean this is sort of at the center of it um, I, I'd be interested in hearing about your you know how you feel about you know your thoughts on uh, on automation in the fraud detection processes but you know, maybe Rick, you could tell us a little bit about these fusion centers and whether or not, um, you know, like uh, Dr. No has one too. I don't know. Dr. No? <laughs> I don't know about that. But uh, no, they're a growing trend apparently among some of the biggest banks. Uh, I spoke with Bill Stewart, who is an analyst at Capco, the uh, fintech consultancy. And he was saying that they, um, they're kind of mirroring government intelligence style agencies that spawned after 9-11. Um, so the, you know, they want to mix like intelligence from the CIA, the NRO, the NSA, um, these intelligence databases and these intelligent agencies used to have sort of very siloed approaches and they didn't really talk to each other very well. Um, but after 9-11, they realized, you know, if we could have maybe coordinated it a little bit better, we might have been able to prevent some of these attacks. So um, they created fusion centers where these different agencies can actually work alongside of each other and there's not that disconnect of information. And uh, what Bill Stewart said uh, was that Basically, banks are kind of doing the same thing where you have your IT department, your security ops, um, and your intelligence inside the bank all talking to each other, all working alongside of each other. So that way you can fight the more sophisticated cybersecurity threats that are coming out a lot more seamlessly. Mm -hmm. uh, and Bill Stewart um, kind of interestingly spent 20 plus years uh, in the Army National Guard uh, working as a signal officer. Um, so he has a lot of, I mean, he's been doing this on the ground for the military for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And obviously he was saying that, you know, he, he equated being in the Army National Guard at, uh, doing um, communications and intelligence as getting a data breach every day. So, um, so he kind of well, had that You were in the Army, Rick. Would you agree with that? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't an intelligence, though. Um, <laughs> uh, I was not seeing things from his perspective. I mean, he was setting up <laughs> battalion-wide communications. I, right. was, I was, you know, hacking tourniquets and stuff. So, Dan, if you've got, like, so they're, they're trying to piece together these different aspects of the process. So what about, how does, like, the, uh, the data science un potentially underpin that? Well, you know, I, I, when we talk about um, data, which is, um, you know, that's 
obviously companies bread and butter, right? They say it's the new oil. Uh, and uh, I think there's been a reluctance for a lot of organizations to, to share their data. However, in, in the fraud space, this isn't necessarily proprietary data that um, benefits them by not releasing it into the world, right? So if they can share um, uh, uh, things like when, you know, when, uh, you know fraud and, uh, you know, kind of um, attacks are different, um, but uh, uh, they're kind of all related to this, like preventing kind of cybercrime uh, mm -hmm. uh, initiative. If, if they can share that data, I mean, it, it affects everybody, right? Because if you prevent, you know, fraud or attacks in, at one organization, you're more likely to uh, uh, be able to prevent them at your own. And having a clear picture of how that's all happening, you know, data science is, is powered by good, clean, full understanding of a data picture. Uh, that's just going to make better fraud detection solutions, better, um, uh, you know, algorithms that can um, identify attacks and stop them before they happen. And uh, it, 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 there's really no reason why these organizations shouldn't share that information with uh, each do you, other. Do you have a feeling for, I mean, you're, you're very much, you know, focused on algorithm development and so on. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're you know, gravity, uh, um, AI is a, it's a marketplace, you know, for, um, so, you know, give us a sense for like how, what volume, uh, of algorithms or, you know, focus um, of, of data. How much of it do you think is focused on the fraud, um, you know, side of the equation versus, you know, other, other aspects of financial services or data analytics services? Yeah, I, you know, um, fraud is probably the number one area within financial services that you see data science applications, um, uh, you know, and automating the, the detection of, of fraud right before it happens. Uh, that, that's across uh, not just banks, but that's across insurance, that's across, you know, uh, mortgages, uh, you know, and, and, and detecting whether or not this is even a real person, for example. So it by far is probably the largest uh, sector that I see. And you've got individual types of models that various companies have built. Um, uh, and by the way, the industry is extremely fragmented as far as um, uh, companies that are building these models are concerned. There's lots of them out there. And mm -hmm. it's actually a hard to get an understanding of which ones are doing a good job in which areas. Uh, by far automating fraud detection, number one space. Uh, a close kind of second would be what I would call the digitization of, of uh, everything now uh, with the, you know, um, the most prevalent expression of that being what we call OCR, or optical character recognition. Every bank on the planet, um, every financial institution on the planet right now has like millions of PDFs and scanned images of forms that just contain an enormous amount of information that they want to digitize. And um, it's extremely hard to do that, but models today can extract that information directly out of images or PDFs. That's right. probably the second largest area that I see automation um, happening is in the digitization mm -hmm. of these old documents. Okay. Um, well, Rick and Bianca, now you know what you need to focus on uh, in, the coming, in the coming weeks. But before we do that, uh, just looking at the week ahead, um, uh, what do you uh, what do you guys have coming up in, in, on bank innovation this week? Yeah, I can go. So uh, one such example exactly is is exactly what Dan's talking about. Uh, we're going to be looking at how Merchants Capital, which is part of Merchants Bank, 
is going to be automating their loan origination process. And it's exactly that OCR taking data points from loan applications and digitizing that. Uh, yeah, I'm working on a, a piece about how a lot of banks and a lot of fintechs are finding uh, a new home for some of their second headquarters and some of their other departments. Uh, we're looking at uh, specifically looking at Utah and uh, why Utah is becoming such a hotbed for both fintech and banking alike. And Dan, what's uh, what can we expect from uh, Gravity AI in the uh, in the coming weeks? Well, uh, I don't know if these dark circles are a dead giveaway, but literally as of last night, we uh, came out of private beta. So we, um, uh, I haven't even announced it yet. This is the first time I'm talking about it. Uh, we, we came out of private beta. Uh, we've been running um, some, some fairly large pilots uh, uh, with, with customers and we are, um, as they say, open for business. So at some point, I'm gonna have to put together a larger kind of announcement here, but it's uh, exciting to be able to, to bring it That's up to great. you guys. That's great. I was wondering about those dark rings under your yeah, eyes. They're just no, a permanent fixture now. You, you look just fine. A permanent you, look fixture. fine. <laughs> you look fine. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Dan. Uh, Bianca, Rick, thank you. As always, uh, we want to hear from all of you. So please rate FinTech Unfiltered wherever you listen to your uh, podcasts. Uh, you could also email us at info at bankinnovation.net and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, and of course, don't forget to visit us online at bankinnovation.net. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, please uh, keep it unfiltered.